With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by SupChina. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast. Another episode of the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, another opportunity to once again dissect and analyze the biggest developments in the world of Chinese business news. The past seven days have seen some pretty startling developments. Certain eyebrow-raising state media reports have rattled the stock markets as nervy investors speculate on who could be the next target of Beijing's regulatory campaign. Short video giant Kuaishou's shares have hit an all-time low, and our chat this week will focus on e-commerce giant Alibaba, which has found itself in an uncomfortable spotlight after an employee has made sexual assault allegations. If you're looking to keep up with all the latest happenings from the world's second largest economy, you are listening to exactly the right podcast. Here is your weekly update. As China races to contain its latest COVID-19 outbreak, the country has ramped up disease control measures at airports. According to newly unveiled rules, airline and airport staff exposed to international travelers, imported goods, or flight equipment will be required to undergo daily nucleic acid tests, and those who work alongside such staff need to take two tests per week, no less than two days apart. An official notice also says that airlines must also reserve the back three rows of aircraft seats as emergency isolation zones, strip back in-flight services in areas of the country with high numbers of cases, clean and sterilize aircraft facilities more frequently, and reduce access to the cockpit. The move comes after the eastern city of Nanjing tightened travel restrictions and launched mass testing in response to a cluster of more than 200 locally transmitted infections since July 20th. Many of the infection cases involve the fast-spreading Delta variant. Holy smoke! Chinese e-cigarette firms have been experiencing some turbulence on the stock markets. On Thursday, Smoor International Holdings shed nearly 8% before erasing most of the loss. Shenzhen Jinjia Group closed almost 5% lower. The tumbles come after a report by Xinhua, the state-owned media agency, criticizing vaping companies for continuing to illegally sell their products to people under the age of 18. 
Citing undercover reporters who were dispatched to stores in Tianjin and Shenyang, the Xinhua report said e-cigarette companies didn't perform age checks on buyers and even alleged they encouraged minors to find adults to buy on their behalf. The article also quotes an expert who calls for tougher rules on the vaping industry. The news comes as jittery investors have been closely scrutinizing state media for signals as to what sector regulators will target next as part of an ongoing campaign that has triggered a $1 trillion global sell-off in the last month. Last week also saw investors get spooked over a looming clampdown on the gaming sector after another state media report condemned the ills of gaming addiction. The article in the Economic Information Daily said that gaming addiction was harming children's academic and personal development and used strong language such as spiritual opium and electronic drugs. A number of Chinese gaming companies subsequently saw their shares plunge, although they eventually did claw back some of their losses after the article temporarily vanished from the web and then was restored without the aforementioned dramatic terms. Among these gaming companies was the tech titan Tencent. The company's shares fell by nearly 11% last Tuesday, signaling Tencent's biggest fall in a decade. However, they did recover slightly. This past week saw some of China's biggest private education companies learn some tough lessons. A number of these companies have announced they are no longer offering Chinese students tutoring services led by staff who are not in China. According to Bloomberg, Tencent-backed VIP Kid has said it will cease selling new such classes effective immediately, while ByteDance's one-on-one English tutoring app, GoGoKid, says it has also pulled the plug on its lessons to Chinese students. The news comes after Beijing imposed strict new rules on the after-school study sector, which includes a ban on hiring teaching staff who are based overseas. Also going through quite a rough spell is Kuaishou. Its Hong Kong-listed shares plummeted to an all-time low last week, with its equities falling by around 15% to close at just under 90 Hong Kong dollars, or about $11.50 U.S. on Thursday. That represents a nearly 80% decline in value from its record high of 415 Hong Kong dollars soon after it completed a 5.4 billion U.S. dollar IPO in February. The fall came shortly after the short video giant announced a pullout from the U.S. market and that it would shut down its app Zin on August 20th. However, Kwaisho adds that its strategy for competing in foreign markets remains unchanged. But while some businesses operating in the world's most populous country may be grappling with tightened restrictions or are in fear that they could be on the brink of such tightened restrictions, it's at least been a good week for one certain foreign financial institution. China's top securities regulator approved Fidelity to set up a wholly owned mutual fund business. This makes the U.S. company the second global asset manager, after BlackRock, to tap into the country's fast-growing wealth management market through such a subsidiary. The new company is to be based in Shanghai with $30 million in registered capital and will be 100% controlled by Phil Asia, a Singapore-based unit of Fidelity. According to the regulator, the new China venture can conduct mutual fund and private fund management. As of the end of 2020, Fidelity managed $700 billion of assets globally. It's also been an exciting week for Foxconn. 
The company will buy a semiconductor factory from Taiwanese memory chip supplier Macronics International for the equivalent of 91 million U.S. dollars. The move reflects on Foxconn's growing efforts to make auto chips as the iPhone assembler expands further into the electric vehicle industry. In a joint statement on Thursday, the two companies said the acquisition deal for the Xinzhu-based facility, which manufactures six-inch wafers used primarily for making car chip components, is expected to be completed by the end of this year. The deal comes as chipmakers try to meet growing demand from producers of goods from cars to electronics, whose supply chains have been disrupted by a global shortage of semiconductors. Let's turn now to Tyson Global podcast producer Nandini Venkata, co-producer of this program, who I am delighted to welcome back. Hey, Nandini. Hey, Kaiser. Great to be here. So you're on the show today to talk about Alibaba, but not about the company's earnings or some M&A deal or a new product or, or regulatory travails or whatever, uh, but about some shocking allegations against an Alibaba manager. Yeah. So this definitely is a huge story, and it has been sending shockwaves across Chinese social media, becoming one of the most trending topics on platforms like Weibo right at the moment. So all of this kicked off um, when a very detailed 11-page document was uploaded onto Weibo. Now, in the document, an Alibaba employee makes some very startling sexual assault allegations. She says that all of this happened when she was on a business trip to Jinan, a city in eastern China. So the Alibaba employee, um, who I should point out has not been identified, says that during a dinner with clients on July 27th, she was pressured into drinking alcohol. She says then that not only was she sexually harassed by a colleague, but after falling unconscious, she was then raped by her own manager. And I should add that local police are investigating these allegations. It's not just the the shocking nature of the allegations, right? I mean, it seems a lot of the anger is focused on the way Alibaba initially handled the employee's report of this incident. Can you can you talk about that? Yeah. So. After going through this terrible ordeal, this Alibaba employee says she then reported the incident to the company's management, and that was on um, August 2nd. And she asked specifically for two things. First, for the particular manager who allegedly sexually assaulted her to be fired. And second, she also asked for time off from work. Now, for one reason or another, Alibaba apparently never took any action, and that is up until these allegations became public. And after the story went viral on social media and indeed made its way into headlines across the world, the company then started taking steps to do some damage control Um, after, indeed, it found itself in a very catastrophic PR disaster. So for one, um, Alibaba says that it will fire the manager who is accused of sexually assaulting his colleague. The company also says that it's working with police as they are investigating these allegations. 
And the company has also launched its own internal investigation into the matter. Alibaba is also said to be working on a so-called anti-sexual harassment policy. And that's in order to protect employees if ever something like this happens again. Now, reports have also surfaced saying that the company's CEO, Daniel Zhang, is really livid about all of this. In an internal memo, the CEO has described himself as feeling shocked, furious, and ashamed about these allegations. And he also says that the HR staff and the managers who mishandled the employee's case need to not only make some serious apologies, but they also need to think long and hard about how they deal with these types of matters. And indeed, two Alibaba executives have resigned after failing to take appropriate action. So so it's a big enough story of itself, but I wonder, Nandini, whether you can talk about the wider implications of this, uh, if any. Sure. So, I mean, we could wonder about what this means for Alibaba in terms of business. We already know that the company, like many other Chinese tech giants, has been in the crosshairs of Chinese regulators. And that's especially after Beijing has grown more concerned about the monopolistic behavior of such huge businesses, as well as issues like um, data security. Now, I think aside from all of that, there are also bigger reasons why this is a story to watch. After all, this comes right after another high-profile sexual assault scandal exploded in China. I'm, of course, talking about the scandal involving the pop star Chris Wu. Wu was detained last month on suspicion of rape. As a reminder, in July, several women came forward to publicly accuse the Chinese-Canadian singer of all sorts of predatory behavior. And all of this started when one woman took to social media to accuse Wu of pressuring her into consuming alcohol and then allegedly having sex with her while she was unconscious. Now, although the celebrity did deny all of these accusations, the story did really seem to revive the Me Too conversation in China. And just like with Alibaba, this story has really um, attracted so much attention um, on social media and indeed in the general media in China. And there seem to be um, a lot of women, you know, wanting to weigh in on the discussion and express their support to the survivors of sexual assault. So it does make me wonder if these scandals um, with Chris Wu and Alibaba could mark a sort of watershed moment in China's Me Too movement. That's especially when it comes to topics like dating culture and, um, you know, what's appropriate in the workplace. Indeed, there have already been a lot of debates going on about how appropriate it is to um, put staff under pressure to drink heavily at work events. And I think there's also growing awareness about what responsibilities um, businesses have in order to protect their employees from sexual harassment. So this is definitely a huge story to watch. Indeed it is. Well, thank you, Nandini, for joining me on the show again. Thanks, Kaiser. Speak to you soon. Look forward to having you back on. And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. The Tyson Seneca Business Brief is produced by Kaiser Guo and Nandini Venkata with stories from the staff of Tyson Global. Special thanks to Lee Sin of Tyson Global. Thanks to Spring and Autumn for the music. 
Hear stories from Caixin Global, SubChina, Sixth Tone, and many other China-focused outlets on the new China Stories podcast. And for daily news and views, make sure to subscribe to SubChina Access for the daily newsletter. Find us at subchina.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Take care.